Today's swap of number is 98,000. According to government statistics reported in the Dallas Morning News, that's the number of total passengers that flew in the U.S. on April 22nd. For comparison, Southwest has about 62,000 employees. Today on the show, we're going to talk to EFNA IRC committee member Greg Ald, who will tell us about this week's earnings, the impact of the coronavirus on the industry, and what the CARES Act means for us and our airline. I'm Kurt Heideman. And I'm Amy Robinson. There's a lot of uncertainty out there right now. No one knows for sure what the long-term impact of COVID-19 will be, but there has been a strong initial response across the industry so far. Southwest has cut service by about 75% and received billions in government aid. And the company and SWAPA have begun discussions on ways to seek additional cost savings. So here's our interview with Greg talking about the last couple of months and what SWAPA sees for us over the rest of the year. Hi, Greg. Um, let's talk about earnings. How were the SWA earnings this time? Oh, hey, Emmy. It's glad to be here. Glad to chat with you. Uh, the earnings, I guess you could characterize the earnings in, in a couple of ways. At, at first blush, of course, they were terrible. I mean, Southwest reported its first loss, its first quarterly loss in nine years, although in, in analyst speak, it's always measured against expectations. So in some regards, because the earnings, the losses were not as bad, then uh, they were they were viewed positively. In fact, we've seen that in the market in the last couple of days or so. But like I said, about $77 million was the, uh, was the net loss, uh, excluding special items last year, or last quarter. Uh, traditional metrics, which we pay a lot of attention to, like RASM and CASM, just really aren't as important right now given this this massive downturn in the industry. You know, when you lose 95% of your revenue, uh, you cut your capacity by 60%, you stop thinking about some of the basics. And so you're looking at, at different measures and things like liquidity become a lot more important. So in that regard, uh, the earnings was, was decent. We have about $9 billion uh, of liquidity. Southwest has aggressively been raising cash. They're getting an infusion of cash from the CARES Act, which I'm sure we can talk about. They've been able to cut costs initially, you know, uh, they were able to cut costs, particularly going into, into the second quarter. But like I said, overall, when you lose a billion dollars of revenue, it's hard to make that up uh, with a positive earnings statement. So talk a little bit about, you said the liquidity. I know Swap has spent a lot of time uh, focusing on the company's quote unquote fortress balance sheet. How does that play into this whole situation? Well, absolutely. I mean, this idea of a fortress balance sheet, which we talk about and the Wall Street analysts talk about that, has really positioned Southwest to be in, in, in a great position. I mean, as we exited last year, before anyone thought about the word coronavirus, Southwest was in a terrific position. We had about $4 billion of cash. We had as much cash on hand as debt. So if you think about that from a household income, we had enough cash to bank to pay all of our bills that were existing right now. And that was by far the best of any airline, any U.S. airline. Uh, so that balance sheet has positioned Southwest well to weather this tremendous storm where expenses continue. Uh, we have a lot of fixed expenses, everything from salaries and from airport rentals, um, lease payments on aircraft, those kinds of things continue. But this balance sheet, this ability to raise money has given us the ability to, to have the cash flow going forward to pay the bills and to operate really for the foreseeable future. So that's good news. Greg, is Southwest debt still considered investment grade? 
Yeah, absolutely. Southwest uh, entering this crisis was one of two airlines that had what, what the three ratings agencies consider investment grade. It was us and Delta had just got to the threshold of considered investment grade. Uh, of course, that situation is going to change. Delta has already been downgraded, but that investment grade rating gives Southwest the ability to borrow large sums of money at relatively lower interest rates. It again, positions us for strength going forward. So talk a little bit about oil prices and how they're affecting our um, bottom line. Absolutely. Well, you know, oil prices, uh, fuel typically is the first or second largest uh, expense the airline has. Depending on the price of fuel, it shifts position between that and labor. Um, the silver lining, if, you, if you're looking for a silver lining in this catastrophe we're going on right, going through right now, is oil prices have, have come down dramatically. Where we were spending $2 to two fifteen a gallon over the last year or so, right now the outlook for fuel going in the second quarter and beyond is really for a dollar to a dollar and ten. So where we spent maybe four, four point three billion dollars in fuel last year, uh, the company is estimating, and we agree with this estimates of uh, spending probably less than two billion dollars, or certainly about a two billion dollar savings in fuel for 2020. And that makes sense. You know, we burned about two billion gallons of fuel. We're going to cut that fuel burn roughly in half with the capacity changes. When the prices when the price comes down in half, you can see how those the savings are are large and they're real and they're they're helpful to the ability of the airline to cut expenses. Greg, the last time fuel prices uh, crashed, uh, it ended up costing us a lot of money due to our fuel hedges. How are those working out for us now? Well, there's good news here as well. Um, the company shifted its hedging strategy. So back in 2015 to 2017. When there was, I think it caught the industry a little bit by surprise. There was a general decline in fuel prices. Southwest lost $2.3 billion in hedges over those three years. They've reworked how they do they they do their hedging strategy, and now they can participate in the in the as fuel prices as they as they fall. So they essentially what we pay now is some premiums uh, for the for the fuel hedges, and there are minor settlements, sometimes positive, sometimes negative, quarter to quarter. So the good news is, is I think the company has, has reworked its fuel hedge strategy to participate in the falling prices. So we won't see those billions of losses like we did uh, over those previous years? No. What we're going to see are premium costs in the 20 to $40 million a quarter going forward. And then you'll see some minor settlement, sometimes income, sometimes losses, depending on how those hedges performed. That's correct. Greg, I know a lot of our pilots uh, have a lot of money in our non-qual plans. And those plans are uh, are at risk if the company were to declare bankruptcy. Is that something that our pilots should be worried about right now? Well, you know, it's true that the non-qualified monies are not fully protected in bankruptcy. And that's why we've, we've reminded our pilots from time to time to consider the consequences of bankruptcy and their risk tolerance when they're sheltering money in those three different non-qual plans. But I would say we are a very, very long way from a Southwest bankruptcy. The company has just begun to pull the various levers available to it in cash conservation, including, of course, the reduced flying we're seeing, uh, a large pull down in capital expenditures, uh, encouraging voluntary leave of, leaves of absence. So that there's a lot of good news there. And remember, as we spoke earlier, Southwest has entered this crisis in really the best shape of any of the United States airlines. So that it, it tells that we have a, a long way to be worried. And if you think about it, for Southwest to be thinking about bankruptcy, a lot of dominoes and other airlines would have to fall first before before Southwest was contemplating that. 
So I guess the question that I would have is why then why do corporations file when they have billions of dollars available to them? Yeah, we hear this complaint, you know, why don't why don't corporations wait to the last day before they actually file bankruptcy? And really that's rooted in the idea that there's two, there's two different kinds of corporate bankruptcies. Uh, the bankruptcy, the traditional one you think about is chapter seven, where the company runs out of money, essentially sells off its assets and pays its creditors the best it can. It's called chapter seven. Chapter 11 bankruptcies is which, what, what we're used to seeing in this industry is where a company declares bankruptcy, is supervised by a court, and is trying to organize its debts to live to fight another day. So in that regard, it has to have millions or billions of dollars in the bank to continue paying the operating expenses it expects to have to continue to pay salaries, leases, and rentals and things like that. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the CARES Act and how that was structured or what, what Southwest is doing with that. How much did Southwest take? Well, so the CARES Act has a couple of different pieces, and we only know essentially half of the answer right now. Uh, there's a, about $50 billion total uh, allocated to the U.S. passenger airlines, a few more billion to the cargo airlines. So that out of that first $50 billion is a $25 billion pot, and Southwest pro rata share was about $3.3 billion. So that's been our initial take from the CARES Act. And of course, it's a little bit more complicated than that. In that $3.3 billion, 70% of it, so about $2.3 billion, is essentially free grant money, and it's called the Payroll Support Program. And it's meant to pay uh, salaries, wages, and benefits for the next two quarters, going through the end of the third quarter of 2020. Another 30% of that $3.3 billion, or in our case, about a billion dollars, is actually in the form of a loan. And there are a couple of strings attached with that loan as well. Along with that billion dollars of money that has to be repaid, uh, the company is also required to issue warrants, or essentially uh, to offer stock to the government at a certain price going forward. And as we talked about in our brief uh, blurb yesterday online, that there's some other restrictions with that money as well. The uh, there's a the restrictions on stocks, stock buybacks and dividends through the end of next year. Of course, the company can't furlough till the end of this September. And they've also, the government's put some stipulations on executive comp compensation all the way through March of 2022. Greg, explain for the listeners exactly what a warrant is and how they work. Sure. Well, a warrant really is, it gives the holder of the warrant, in this case, the federal government, the option to buy stock for a certain amount of time. In this case, it's five years and at a certain price. And it was the closing price of Southwest stock on April 9th. So at $36.47. So the government has the ability, now the stock is below that right now, so they wouldn't purchase those warrants. But let's say the stock were to rise to $36.47 and go up even higher. The government has the ability to, to buy that stock and of course, then resell it on the open market and make a profit. That's behavior they did back after the great financial crisis. Uh, they, they took warrants at other companies, a lot of banks, and ultimately sold those at a profit. And along with that uh, share count, we've also heard uh, during earnings yesterday that the company's issuing additional stock. Is that true? That is true. It's unusual, but I guess given the unusual times, that's a, that, it, it, it makes sense. You know, normally companies raise cash by by raising debt. They go to the they go to the banks and they 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 get loans at, at at whatever interest rate that their credit rating will allow. But of course, another way for a company to raise money, large companies and small, is essentially to issue additional stock, and that's what Southwest is choosing to do. So they announced yesterday uh, a couple of different programs, but they're going to issue they're going to issue a uh, 
a new offering of stock, about 10 or 12 million shares. And also they're going to issue some additional loans that can be converted to stock. So again, both of those have the effect of raising additional money up to about $3 billion additional money for Southwest. But of course, it has the effect of diluting the overall share count. So let's talk a little bit about how Southwest is running their the operation. How are the loads right now? Well, in, in short, the loads are awful, right? The loads are still single digit load factors. I mean, we're seeing averages of you know, just just a handful of passengers on aircraft. Uh, we reported a couple of weeks ago that there was 50 or 60 flights a day going with no passengers at all. I think we've corrected some of those problems, but in short, off, the loads are off. And is the company uh, making any money at all on those flights? Are they carrying cargo? I've seen some other carriers are, are doing cargo only flights. Oh, you know, I don't have any, any visibility on the day-to-day money uh, of the airline. So anecdotally, I'm sure there are some flights there that are making some money with cargo opportunities. I really think Southwest is doing the best it can to keep the network intact as much as possible so it's prepared to participate in a recovery as fast as it can. You've seen a largely point-to-point network be changed into a little bit more of a hub-and-spoke network. Uh, We've reduced the early morning and late night flying. And even the company has announced that they're essentially over-scheduling uh, on the books with the ability to cut back on flying two to three days prior when they see some particularly unprofitable flights. Well, that's good news overall for the company, but uh, we had Scott and Megan from our SRC on the podcast last episode, and, and they made a point that that while making those last minute cuts uh, does help the company, it certainly is causing its fair share of troubles uh, for our crew members. So I think we have to make sure that there's some balance in there. And, and that's something I think SWAP is working hard to to make uh, the company recognize. Absolutely. This is definitely a give and take on both sides. Um, so how does our traffic volume compare to other airlines? I would say we compare to the other airlines. Uh, again, we don't see day-to-day traffic statistics by airlines, but it, but all the airlines are sharing in this pain. I would say that Southwest is probably in a little bit better position just because our international footprint was so much smaller than the other big four airlines. And what about the ULCCs? I know that they're very dependent on vacation travelers and personal travel. What's the what's the outlook for them? Yeah, absolutely. ULCCs are really in a tough spot right now. And partly is but partly is due to, to the uh, the nature of the uh, of the crisis we're in. The fact that they're so heavily dependent upon leisure and visiting friends and relative travel. It's also a result of their network design. Spirit's a great example. Spirit, when you look at a map, has a very big spider web, you know, 400 some odd market. And it compared, when you look at their map, it compares, looks in size about the same of ours. But so much of their service is, it's, it's a very thin and broad network, you know, less than daily service, two times a week service. And the CARES Act that right now requires them to maintain levels of service to all of their, all their uh, airports. They've asked for some relief saying that the airports are served well by, other, by their competitors. But so far, the U.S. Treasury has held firm and said they have to continue that service. So this puts them in a bind right now, largely because of the network design. Greg, as we look forward towards the end of this crisis, do, uh, do you think or does SWAP believe that this is going to be a long-term or short-term problem? Will there be a, a quick solution or resolution? Well, I, I think we all hope very early on. In fact, even analysts were suggesting it, we had the potential for a very for a sharp downturn followed by a sharp rebound, a classic V-shaped recovery. I think the thinking has changed over the last three or four weeks now to say this has now shifted from that idea to really a multi-year issue. Gary Kelly said yesterday on the earnings release that we are in a recession, and I, I don't think anybody would doubt that. Um, 
So the realization now is that traffic is not going to recover this year to 2019 levels. And it may come back in the 2021 timeframe. Some analysts are more grim in a model of three to five year recovery. Other analysts are a little bit more optimistic. But I would suggest this is no longer a short-term problem. It's probably a medium-term problem. Would you compare it to how traffic bounced back after 9-11 or the 2008 Great Recession? I mean, are we considering that those are kind of our models of expectation? Or uh, do you think it might be longer than that? Well, that's a great question, uh, and those are appropriate comparisons. You know, it's interesting when these crises happen, everybody looks for analogs. The, right away, they were trying to see if the COVID-19 crisis was going to be like the SARS crisis of you know a few years ago. So they're looking for, for analogs there. And of course, for the industry response, we're, we're comparing that as well to maybe what we saw post-9-11 or the great financial crisis of 2008. Uh, the consensus now is what we're seeing is worse than either one of those. Uh, the traffic fall-offs are two to three times as, as sharp as they were in both of those both of those events. Um, so let's look at the 9/11 crisis as, as, as the first course of action. You know, there was pretty much a U.S.-only event, and the airspace was closed for four days. So there was a dramatic fall-off, but it still took the industry about three years to get back to pre-9/11 profitability. Uh, the good news is the Southwest recovered sooner than that, largely because of our cost structure and our network design. But uh, it took it took a long time. The Great Recession uh, had a similar fall off in traffic. Um, this time wasn't because of fear of flying; it was because the economy was really in trouble. Uh, but I, I guess I'll point a couple of data points for you, even for that recovery. It took the industry three years just to get to the revenue level back after the 2008 crisis, and it took seven years for passenger employments to come back. So I'm not trying to spread, spread bad news here through these comparisons, but I guess it gives us a perspective that, uh, what we're seeing, that what we're seeing here will take a while to recover from. And you add to the fact that we've now got 27 million unemployed, a lot of those jobs will come back, but it's going to take a while for customers to realize that it's, they're comfortable flying and really for the places that they want to go to be available for them to go. And here I'm thinking things like, theme parks and cruise lines and sporting events, traditional draw to leisure travel. It's going to take time for those to get open before we get back towards normal. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the responses that uh, we and the company are, are looking at since this turn, downturn might take a while. We all know that Southwest has never furloughed and uh, there's no immediate discussion of that. Uh, in fact, Gary Kelly has gone on the record as saying that uh, Southwest will do everything humanly possible to avoid that. But if it did, what kind of savings are really there? Well, we've done some modeling uh, of, of the savings. And the trouble with a furlough is it essentially attacks, well, what we're using as a cost reduction, it attacks the wrong side of the seniority list. And in, in essence, you're removing your cheapest uh, pilots, you know, your first and second year FOs, and you're replacing them with now what you're replacing them or keeping on board the 12 year captains. And even if you're doing downgrades, if you think about it, you're just turning a 12-year captain who's at the bottom of the captain's seniority list into a 12-year FO. So there, there, there are relatively minor savings. So from that basis, it's, you know, while a furlough and downgrade seems to promise very quick savings, that, that there are other ways to get, uh, to get larger savings and really that are positive, both for the workforce and for the employees. Okay, so 
if we don't furlough, then what are some other ways that, that Southwest can realize those savings from um, reductions or, or cost-cutting measures? Well, that's a great question. SWAPA has done a lot of work on this, and we think that Southwest has a, a lot of voluntary uh, cost-cutting leverage to pull before they even begin contemplating these more drastic cuts like furloughs and downgrades. Um, you know, the first one we saw, uh, which we thought was a little ill-considered, was the emergency time-off program. We thought it could have been done at a little bit higher uh, TFP level. But even even then, uh, Southwest on the first round got over 800, 800 uh, bidders for that. Uh, the second round had another 700 bidders. And so we think they've saved about $20 million thus far in the first four months of that program. Like I said, our modeling suggested that they would receive even more savings uh, had they raised the TFP level. And, and even though individually they there would be less savings per person, of course, would have attracted a, a lot more volunteers for those programs. Greg, you mentioned uh, 20 million in savings. Does the company have a target that they're trying to save to? I mean, is there a, a goal here or is it just whatever they can get? Well, yeah, I, I, I don't think they have a specific target in mind. I mean, they're in a cash conservation mode. So they are essentially trying to take whatever they can get. If they have a target, they haven't communicated that to us yet. We would love to have that information so we can help them craft programs that meet those targets. But it's difficult for us to, to help them uh, shoot for a target when we're shooting in the dark. Other than the uh, ET, you were mentioning ETOs, talk a little bit about some of the other savings that SWAPA has in mind. Well, the next the next level beyond ETO would be a longer term leave of absence, uh, either you know a partial pay or maybe some pilots might even want to go out for no pay, something like that. So a, a longer period ETO we think would be helpful. And the second round, we did see some three month ETOs but we would like this company to consider six month or 12 month uh, leaves of absence as well. Perhaps the biggest bang for the buck though, is to help pilots encourage them to voluntarily early retire. Uh, we, we know there are pilots, particularly you know, in, in their 60s, that if there was enough of an incentive going, going forward, or there was a sufficient percentage of their TFP that would like to go ahead and just stop flying and, and essentially take an early retirement or a golden parachute. Uh, to, to get off the seniority list. There's another advantage of that as well, uh, even though it, I mean, as, as we're getting pilots to leave the seniority list, that also attacks a problem that SWAP has been complaining about for several years, and that's the overhiring. You know, you know, we've been saying even before the MAX was grounded, we were several hundred pilots overstaffed as we saw our productivity decline year over year over year. So we think a well-crafted voluntary early retirement program that could remove several hundred pilots uh, from the seniority list not only saves money in the immediate future, but also helps solve a problem going forward and gets our seniority list back in balance to, with our productivity requirements. Now, didn't American have an early out program? They did. Uh, they've had several early out programs and their, uh, their, uh, their early retirement program, they called it a VPLOA. Uh, they've had two rounds of bid and they've had 715 pilots uh, take that program and they're on track to save, save over $100 million. Uh, in, in total savings on that program. So that's a, we think a, a program similar in structure to that would, would be attractive to Southwest pilots as well. Greg, talk a little bit about how sometimes the cheapest option isn't the best option overall. You know, we hear the expression of tripping over dollars to save pennies. Sometimes the company's been accused of <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, we hear that a lot. And I mean, you know, and we shake our head a, a lot sometimes in which we see uh, what appears to be foolish uh, foolish proposals. I mean, but when you think about it, if you're trying to do cost savings, it's easy 
to focus on the low ball offer because at the, again at the marginal level you get the most bang for your buck um, if you offer a low incentive to get someone you know to, to save money either to take an ETO or to leave. But that of course negates the other side of the equation and that's how many will participate in it. So you can offer an ETO like in our case at 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 fifty percent of your TFP value and you'll as we saw we got several hundred volunteers. But if you reduced the marginal savings and offered a little bit higher, but you doubled your takers, then your your net, your aggregate savings it, it is greater. So I, I do have a question, and this is, I don't know if, if we have an answer for this one or not, but um, are they looking to a certain number of pilots to shed from the seniority list? I think, the, the, I guess I can say the answer to that question is yes, the company is now coming around to the idea that they recognize that we're overstaffed. That it's, it's, it's frustrating that it takes a catastrophe to get them to realize that, but coupled with the max grounding, they are realizing now that even as the airline comes back to full flying later in the year or early next year, which is our hope, that they are, they are overstaffed. So they are beginning to communicate their specific staffing targets they're looking for. Uh, Greg, so most people aren't aware of this, but you actually do all of the polling for SWAPA. So when can our pilots expect the next telephone poll? Well, that's a, uh, the timing of that question is great because we just scheduled it yesterday. Uh, you can now plan to see phone polling. Right now, we're expecting to start next Wednesday on May 6th, and it will be a typical phone poll, probably 600 interviews across the pilot group, and it takes about a week or so for our call center to take care of that. So a lot of the times we hear uh, during the polling, how come SWAPA doesn't uh, let me call back or give us the questions or tell us some of those issues that that you hear a lot about. Well, sure. I mean, we do a couple of types of polling. You know, in one sense, we do offer those options when we do web-based polling. We'll send out a poll and we and we web-based poll to the entire membership and we give the pilots a chance to to see the questions, think about it. And those usually run about a week. You saw dozens of those polls during the contract 2020 preparations. Phone polling, the phone polling is a little different though because the phone polling, what we're looking for is what an individual pilot thinks when they answer the phone. We don't want a rehearsed response, and we certainly don't want to have a uh, responses that are coordinated through networks of people. We want to hear what that individual pilot thinks, and so we can aggregate that and now know what the, what the membership thinks. As far as getting callbacks, the, uh, the, the, the protocol of the call center is they usually call three times, and they vary their calls at different times of the day. We recognize that pilots are are flying, and so that's why the the, the call window is usually uh, in excess of a, a week or so. Uh, and the the call center will vary their times of calls throughout the day to try to catch pilots when they're available. We want to thank Greg for taking the time to talk to us. It's clear that the virus has impacted our entire country, but very few businesses have suffered the size and expected length of losses that the airlines have. It's going to take some time before the aviation industry bounces back, but SWAPA has already offered a number of detailed plans to save money and follow by voluntary means in an effort to protect our airline. Our pilots have always stepped up when called upon, and I'm sure this time will be no different. And as always, we want to hear from you, our listeners. We know you have questions and things that you want, topics you want covered. Please let us know by dropping us a line at com at swapa.org and tell us what we can cover for you coming up. And finally, today's bonus number is $20.1 million. That's the amount of money the company will have saved in pilot ETO through the end of the summer. $20 million isn't nothing, but the company needs something bigger and better than that. It's imperative that Southwest collaborates with SWAPA in order to develop a program appropriate for pilots that meets the company's financial needs.
Northwest 40, 41 to right, clear to land. Clear to land, 13 right, Northwest 40.